Today's reading is Colossians 1, 13 through 25. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace kids, first through fifth graders, you can head to the lobby and find your teachers. The rest of you may be seated. Hello, Grace. Uh, thank you. My name is Daniel Long. I'm a pastor here, and uh, we are actually entering into, and it's been like teased or already said, but we're entering into the season of Advent. Uh, now, the thing about uh, going to church for any period of time, the thing about preaching or even being a Christian and trying to describe what you are doing in the terms of seasons and in the, the schedules of things is it just turns out there are not a lot of things that are new. Uh, so when you come to the season, the question can be like, so what's the new spin on Christmas? Uh, and, or what are we going to say this time? Well, it turns out that there's one thing to say, uh, and that is that God has come to us in Jesus. God is with us. That Jesus has lived, died, and he rose again, and that's truly the best news in the whole world. Uh, so the hope isn't so much that we are going to say new things, but that somehow the gap between what we know to be true and good, and then how we feel and live in response to that wonderful good news becomes less and less of a gap. And that's where the Spirit of God comes into play because I do not have what it takes to bridge that gap for you. But Jesus does, the Spirit does, and so that is why when preachers come up to preach, they also pray. It's not because we don't know how to segue, well, sometimes it is, but um, 
Not this morning, I promise. No, we pray because we are, we are so aware of the fact that we just don't have it. But we know the God who does and want to be open-handed to the one who wants to give and to speak and to just make himself available and real. So would you pray uh, with me toward that end? Open your hands as a way of, of wanting to be expectant and open to what God has to give. Lord God, you are the one who is, who was, who will be. You are the one who has come to us in Jesus and with hopeful expectation, we look toward the time when you will come again, when all things will be made new. In these in-between times, God, we confess that we need you so deeply, so completely. We need you to speak, we need you to heal, we need you to convict, we need you to transform, we need you to renew. And so God, we ask that you would. And help us be open, to be receptive, to be true and honest about who we are, what we need. Thank you, God, for inviting us into life with you. May this morning be an opportunity to see more fully, more deeply, that which has already been told to us so that it might seem new again. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So what is Advent? Advent, it means arrival. And this season is an opportunity to be, to be in, a, in a posture, to be in a frame of mind where we are expecting and open to the arrival of Jesus. Now this is sort of an odd thing because we know that we, that has already happened in the past. And so in a way we are attempting to, through stories and through the stories that already have been told to us, things that we have already understood, to go back and to get a sense of what was it like to be in, in anticipation of this coming king that was promised by God. But then we also know that we sit in a time when we look forward to this moment when we know that God will come again, when Jesus will arrive again, when things will be restored, when things will be made new. And so we look in hopeful anticipation of the arrival of Christ coming again. And so we're in this between, between this already, this not yet, which we speak of. And in this Advent season, what we want to really sit in and think about and consider is the hope that we have in between the times. That God has come to us in Jesus and that his arrival has taken place and that means that a true and real and good kingdom has broken into the present. And it means that things can be different. And we also want to be people who with hope live leaning in to the moment, into the time when things are made new and restored and where tears are wiped away and then where there is no thing like such thing as cancer, where there is no such thing as death anymore, where there's no such thing as brokenness and fracturing of relationships. We want to be people who lean into that hope. 
And so we're going to be talking about hope in three different ways. Hope for the world, hope for us, and then hope for you. See, as Christians, we claim that at the beginning of the story, when God made all things, when things were ordered and good, that humanity has and always has and always will think that its own way is better than God's. And so we know that in Genesis 1, God created things, and then Genesis 1 and 2, Genesis 3, we know that, that humanity went its own way did not want to entrust itself unto God and unto God's ways and decided to take matters into their own hands. And we've been dealing with the fallout of that for ever. Uh, and so we then are people who find ourselves in this fractured world. But then we also claim that through the story that is being told in the people of Israel that finds at its pinnacle in the story of Jesus that somehow God came back onto the scene, in the flesh, to be with us, to show us the way, to show us what is good, so that things might be mended and healed, and that that which is broken would be put back together. And so that is why we have hope. But we see at the beginning of time that there is this fracturing of relationships between humanity and God, the world and God, between humanity and itself, between a person and even within themselves. And so we want to look at the hope of Advent, this coming of God in Jesus, as a hope for this mending of the world between God of one another, this mending between one another, this mending between even within ourselves. And the good news about Christians is that we are not optimists. Now, I'd love to read this quote about Miroslav, from Miroslav Volf, who's this theologian, and he talks about this in relation to hope. He says, Optimus, op optimism is based on the possibilities of things as they have come to be, but hope is based on the possibilities of God irrespective of how things are. This is what Christmas is all about, something radically new that cannot be generated out of the conditions of this world. It does not emerge, it comes. We do not extrapolate it, God promises it. So if darkness has descended upon you and your world, you need not try to persuade yourself that things are not as bad as they seem, or to search desperately for reasons to be optimistic. Remind yourself instead of a very simple fact, the light of the one who was in the beginning with God shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen. So here's the thing. We as Christians are not optimists, we're hopefulists. We are not optimists because we think we have the power and we just think, oh, it's gonna all magically appear to be good and wonderful. We just need time. No, we are hopefulists because we believe that that which is going to fix the world comes from outside of the world to make all things new. We need God, not ourselves and our own strength. And Advent and Christmas reminds us that that is true. So that is why we're gonna talk about hope. And this morning, we're gonna talk about hope for the world. And here are three ways I wanna talk about why God's coming to us in Jesus is hope for the world. First, that the world can know God. Second, that the world can know new life. And third, that the world can know peace. So the world can know God, the world can know new life, and the world can know peace. God coming to us in Jesus is a word of hope because we can know these things. Now, if you want, you can turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter one. 
We're gonna look at this wonderful letter, really this song that Paul provides to us in the book of Colossians to talk about the wonders of what God has done in Jesus. And isn't that so true? Sometimes the things that we, can, we need to say do not come out in an argument and cannot come out in an argument. Sometimes they just have to be sung. And they have to be given as a hymn. And that's precisely what Paul gives us in Colossians 1. We're gonna start first in verse nine, looking at this sense of the world can know God and that that is hope. For this reason, verse nine, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power, and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience, with joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have forgiveness, the redemption of sins." See, the problem is not that we don't know enough. Because it turns out in 2023, we know more than we ever have. Or at least we have access to more knowledge than anybody has ever had access to in the history of the human world. You can know what's going on in the other side of the country right now. Just look it up. You don't know who played in that movie? You could know it right now. You don't remember that quote that you've just been totally butchering over the last few minutes, you could have looked it up and not seem so ridiculous. You're trying to figure out how to best parent, what's the best way to actually engage your kids, to try to find the fastest route from here to wherever you need to go, to see what's wrong with the systemic realities of the world. You can know all of those things and you can know it in just a few seconds. But it turns out that knowledge in and of itself is not the answer. We can know everything that we could possibly want to know and have time to know, and still there will be problems. There will be issues. So it's not knowledge that's the rub. It seems to be the object of that knowledge. It seems to be this idea of, of trying to master and gain and acquire knowledge so that a person, so that I, so that you, so that we can try and do things and control things and manage things. And when we are the object of that knowledge, it turns out we will always make the same mistakes and we will always incur the same problems. That is what history shows us. Paul says it is actually about knowledge, but it's about knowledge of a particular being and a particular story that this being is telling. That being is God, and that story is the knowledge of his will as being told and worked out and will find at its center this person, Jesus. 
Verse nine, for this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you may grow in the knowledge of God. So knowledge is important as it's directed to the God who's actually able to transform us through the person of Jesus and the ongoing work of the Spirit. Because often the object of our knowledge or the things we want or the things we want to know turns out don't really make all that much of a difference if not connected to Jesus. I think of that famous quote from St. Augustine who says, you've made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. We live in a restless world that's trying to gain some access to some sort of knowledge to make everything okay. That's only possible with God and what he's up to. So the hope of Advent is that we can actually know God. We have the opportunity to know who this God is and what this God is like. And how do we do it? We look hard and deep and completely living a life looking at the person of Jesus. Continues in verse 15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Then Paul continues in this hymn in verse 19, for in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So this person of Jesus, we look at him, who he is, what he's like, we somehow get to glimpse who this God is. That's why the incarnation, that's why Christmas, that's why Advent is so significant. Somehow, this God who created all things wants to be known by the, by the world he's created. That's pretty remarkable. That this God wants to be known and has made it possible for us to know this God. But here's what's so fascinating. I just keep thinking of that, the more we know, you know that, that old thing? The more we know about God, the less we actually are able to master this God. Often we want to know things about something else so that we can have control over it. But it turns out that the Christian claim is that more you know about this God, the less you actually know about this God. You can glimpse Jesus and you can get a window into who this God is and what this God is like. But the more we live a life oriented to knowing and understanding and entrusting ourselves to this God, we realize it is like an infinite well that just keeps going. That is why Paul needs to pray for the people he's talking to that we would have some sort of understanding or glimpse of what's going on. God, that they would just get a sense of how deep and how wide and how long and far your love is. They need it. They need your help to know how much you love them. We need God's help to know God. And so God, over time, reveals himself He's revealed himself through the person of Jesus. He continues to reveal himself through the person of the Spirit, not so that we can manage or control God, but so that we can learn to love this God and learn that we are loved by this God. And that is hope. 
is hope that we can actually know this God who has come to us in Jesus, this God who reveals himself to us. That is a remarkable thing. The world that is restless can know that there is a God they can rest in. We can be witnesses of that good news, of that reality, insofar as that is true of you and me and us as a church. And so we need to be marked by this hope that is so clearly glimpsed in Advent, this hope of knowing God. Secondly, we, ha- we have this hope, and that the world has this hope because the world can know new life. Let's look again, Colossians 1, verse 16 says, for in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. Verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Verse 21, and you were, you who were once estranged and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his fleshly body through death so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him. See, Advent reminds us there is hope for the world because the God who came to us in Jesus lived the life that led him to the cross, eventually into the grave, but that the story did not end there. And then we, here in 2023, gathering together to worship, testifies to the reality that the grave could not hold Jesus Christ. Your life as a story of redemption and newness testifies to the reality that Jesus Christ could not be held down by death. That the church somehow continues to exist despite all of our efforts to try and destroy it testifies to the fact that Jesus Christ will not be held down by death. Because Jesus is risen, Jesus will come again. Because Jesus has come And because he did take upon himself all of that which was broken, all of that which was heaped upon him. And then because he was raised again, he said, shame on you, death. It's like the song we sing. Death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring the praise of your glory for you are raised to life again. What a powerful name it is. What a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus. So in Advent, we glimpse a God who came to us in Jesus so that death itself would die. And so that we can actually experience the new life that is offered to us in Jesus Christ. So this means we do not need to fear death. This means that we need, don't need to live lives that try to manage ourselves of, of, of actually denying and keeping death 
at arm's length. Because if there's one thing we know, we know it comes for all of us. We cannot escape it. But we don't need to fear it. Because it is not the final word. And the thing is, we do fear it. How much of your life, if you were to be honest, is actually spent trying to deny the fact that you will die? That I will die. Daniel, this is a Christmas sermon. Um, I know. Uh, and, but we do, we live lives trying to inoculate ourselves from the reality of death. Look at your calendar. It will show you often that you are trying to forget the fact that you will die. Look at your bank account. Look at the ways you've spent money. It will show you all of the ways that you are trying to deny the fact that you will die. Because it terrifies us, all of us. We have 4,000 weeks. The average person has 4,000 weeks in this life. That's crazy. That's not a lot. And so, so many of our weeks are actually spent rather than trying to live the life we have in such gratitude and such gratefulness for the God who has come to us in Jesus, we try to live extending those weeks and it is exhausting. We try to deny the fact that we're limited. We try to deny the fact that we are needy. And so, so much of our life is spent trying to create this barrier around us from the reality that we are limited human beings who have an expiration date. The good news is you will die. The better news is that's not the end of the story. Because God has come to us in Jesus, and because the grave could not hold Jesus down, but Jesus was raised again by God, means that our story, as it's wrapped up in the story of Christ, means we will be, our lives are hidden with Christ in God and our life will be raised again so that we do not have to fear what is coming for us. Because there is more and because God is good and because God loves and because God resurrects. And that is the hope that we have. But Christians, church, do we live as if that is true, as if that is our hope? Or how often are we living, trying to protect ourselves from the reality that we are finite and limited, but also saved and eventually resurrected to be with the Father, to be with God, to be with one another, praising God. Because we get to live as people who are hopeful of a future that comes from outside of us, that comes to us from Jesus where all things are made new. So that's why we actually have all the time in the world to do what God has given us to do. We have what we need to be the people God has called us to be. And it's freeing if we can say, okay, God, I am yours. My life is not my own. I cannot extend it. I cannot control it. I cannot save it. You alone are God and you alone can save. That is the good news. And that's what gives us what we need 
to live the life that God has called us to live. Because Jesus says, right after calling into the grave for Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. And we know that even the dead respond to Jesus. And he does. And Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. So if you want life, you don't need to hold on to it. You don't need to save yourself. It's in Jesus Christ. He's the resurrection. He's the life. The one who believes in him will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in him will never die. The hope of Advent, that the world can know new life. The third one is that the world can know peace. Again, Colossians 1, 13 through 14, he, God, has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We were once somewhere in this dominion, this domain of darkness, but because of what God has done in Jesus, we've been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. Now, this is a kingdom that is not like the other kingdoms of this world. This is a kingdom marked by justice, by peace, by wholeness, by goodness, by restoration, by full and whole life. And it's possible in the person of Jesus Christ. The thing about the book of Colossians is that it's written to a group of people who know what it's like to actually have a new king inaugurated. There are this, there are this little, little place off, to, off of the center of the world, but when a new Caesar came on board, this, this church, these people in Colossae would know because all of a sudden it would be told against the whole world, there's a new Roman Empire. Guess what? There's a whole new regime in town. Now live accordingly. And so Paul is writing this letter as an affront to that to say, hey, there is a new king in town. It's not Nero, it's Jesus Christ. So live accordingly. And this kingdom, this kingdom isn't marked by coercion. It's not marked by torture. It's not marked by get in line or or else. This is marked by being transferred from the domain of darkness into this new kingdom and redemption and forgiveness of sins. And then Paul continues. If we think this is like some small matter, he he corrects us. Verse 20, and through him, Jesus, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once estranged and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his fleshly body through death so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him, provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel." There is no corner of the world that is outside the purview of God's good work. God is after all things. And through Christ, 
God is ongoingly reconciling the world to himself. That is cosmic in scope. The world that has been broken by humanity's insistence by going its own way, God has another plan through Jesus to restore and to renew it. And there is no inch of the world that God does not care about. No inch, no corner, no shadowed place. God, through Jesus, is reconciling all things. All things through Christ. Now, if that is not hope for the world, I do not know what is. Our hope is not in the 2024 election and new leaders being elected, so finally the problems can be solved. Turns out just new ones are created. And we don't have to hope for this other place somewhere else in the world to, for something to happen there. No, it has been done in the person of Jesus. God is the one doing it, and he is reconciling all things. And the crazy thing is, is it begins in some small places, often in the corners of our hearts, in the corners of our minds, in the corners of, or on, of streets, small communities of people who know the true story of the world, that there is a new king in town and are living accordingly. That this reconciliation of all things begins in this small place. Sometimes on a Monday morning, when I have an option or a decision to speak kindly, Sometimes in a small place, like in a chair, in a coffee shop, when I'm in front of a friend who I know what, is, what could be hope for them. And I can ask a question. Or I can say something that means something to that person. Sometimes it is in, in the moments when we are doing things like wanting to walk our streets, wanting to see people, wanting to help a person who needs help, wanting to help with children who do not have families. These small ways that turn out to be of cosmic significance because it testifies to the fact that God truly is reconciling the world. And guess what? Somehow your life is wrapped up in it. Somehow the 4,000 weeks that we have get to tell a story about the God who has come to the world in the person of Jesus and has started his kingdom project of making things new. And then that life gets to point to the fact that it is in fact true. And perhaps there's just hope that Jesus will one day come again and all the things that we so desperately need, we will completely have, not because we were able to acquire them, but because they were given to us. The good news of Christmas, the good news of Advent, the hope that we have is that there is a life that comes from outside of us, from outside of our own power, outside of our own thoughts, outside of our own imaginations. And it has the actual ability to transform and to restore and to reconcile and to renew. 
And the good news is, is that God has already started that. It's already begun. If you've given your life over to Jesus and you name him as Lord over your life, your, your life becomes an opportunity to tell that story. And it is that story of God reconciling the world to himself. So there is hope for the world. Hope that the world can know God, hope that the world can know new life, and hope that the world can know peace. And it comes from the outside, from a good God who was not content with being at arm's length, but wanted to get so close that he came to us in the person of Jesus. Thanks be to God that that's true. So there's gonna be an opportunity for us to reflect on a couple questions to begin and to start this Advent season. And there's gonna be some music uh, playing um, over us that will help us attend to these two things. But here are the questions I wanna ask and I want you to be thinking about, spending time with. How might God be inviting you to lean into hope? How might God be inviting you to lean into hope? Not to be an optimist, not to just imagine it's gonna turn out okay. No, but where are the actual places in your life you're just not sure if it's gonna turn out okay? And that's where you need God to bring something new into. How might God be inviting you to lean into hope? And secondly, how might God be inviting you to share the hope you have in Jesus? How might God be wanting you to share the hope that you have in Jesus? Is there, is there a way, is there a, a relationship, is there some place in your life that God might be inviting you to share this hope, to speak it, to believe it in so much that you, you are willing to, to talk about it and to share it? It could be with those who do not know what this hope is, those who have not professed Jesus as Lord. It could be those people. You know what, it could also be people in your life who maybe have made that profession but you've never taken the risk to share hope together. That might be a place and an opportunity. So how might God be inviting you to lean into hope and then how might God be inviting you to share the hope you have in Jesus. So I encourage you now, take time to reflect on those two questions as music is played over us.
Before the land and the sea, there was God. Before skyscrapers and freeways, there was God. Before interviews and exams, there was God. Before the stock market and unemployment, there was God. Before the tumor and the chemotherapy, there was God. Before old age and the fear of loneliness, there was God. And when the former things have passed away and the last of the infinite stars have faded, there also will be God, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who can bring beginning out of end, making all things new. For he is not only the beginning and the end, he is the middle too. The middle where we wait in longing. This middle that can feel so interminable as it must have felt for Mary, gasping for breath as she labored to deliver her baby. And as it must have felt for Christ, gasping for breath on the cross as he labored to deliver his creation. Let us remember this in our own gasping labor and let this remembrance of God at the beginning and the middle and the end lift up our hearts and make us people of hope in the time that we have been granted. We light this first Advent candle as a symbol of the hope we have in Jesus, that he has and will reconcile all things to God through his blood shed on the cross. You can go ahead and stand as we continue in worship. <clears throat> Some death could not hold you. Oh, death could not hold you. 